0: The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license.
1: I believe in Jesus Christ.
0: In this series of episodes,
2: we continue a verse-by-verse study of the book of 1 Thessalonians using proper hermeneutical and exegetical principles. Our goal is to understand not only the details of what was going on at the time that this book was written, but more importantly, to understand what it is saying to God's elect in the church today. The reason as stated before is that according to 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 God's word states that the Bible is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness. And again this is because our presuppositional approach and our biblical worldview is God's saints is that God is the ultimate authority for meaning, morals, truth, beauty, significance, and reality. Further, our assumption is that God has chosen to reveal Himself and His attributes, His relationship to man, His plan of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, and glorification via His Holy Spirit, who breathes God's revelation into his word, the Bible. In our previous uh, episode, we had reached uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Here, for context, we digress briefly to chapter 4, verse 13, where Paul undertakes a change of subject, as you will recall. There, he reminds the Thessalonian church believers that he doesn't want them in verse 13 to be ignorant concerning those who were asleep or had passed away and died and that they should not sorrow even as others in the world who had no hope. The reason that Paul reminded them that they should have this hope was that they had a firm belief, a faith, and an understanding in the reality that since Jesus had died and had rose again, in like manner so would those who had fallen asleep and died, Jesus would bring with him at his second coming. In verse 15, we saw via a corrected translation that Paul was reminding the Thessalonians also that those of us then or now which remain and are alive would not precede those who had died or had fallen asleep. You will recall that we immediately asked the question, precede them in what? To which Paul responds in verse 16, in giving the Thessalonian church and by extension, us, an explanation of the order of events regarding the things to come, or eschatology. In verse 16, Paul explains that the Lord himself, Christ, would at some point descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and at that point, those, whoever they may be, who had died or had fallen asleep, would be the first to rise, or the first fruits. In verse 17, continuing, he says that those who are at that time alive and remain will then be caught up together with those in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall all or both groups ever be with the Lord. Finally, in verse 18, as you recall, Paul reminds the Thessalonians to comfort one another or exhort one another or encourage each other with these words and with those facts. Finally, if you have your copy of God's word open in front of you, we're ended with chapter 5, verse 1, where Paul in fact, continues, and there should be no chapter break, where Paul says in verse 1, But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. As you will recall, what I and others propose is that the reason that Paul had no need to write of those things regarding the timing was because the Thessalonians had had previous instruction by Paul, by Timothy, and by Silas with regard to what that timing was. Therefore, there would be no need to repeat it. The second accompanying proposition was that because most of the people that Paul was talking to in the Thessalonian church were likely Jews, that because of their Jewish upbringing and their cultural understanding, they had a pre-existing knowledge with regard to various feasts and festivals of the Lord and other issues which very much would have pointed them to the reality of the timing of when the Lord was to return and therefore would have no need of any further understanding This then brings us to verse 2, where we continue from our previous episode, where Paul says, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now here I cannot tell you how often, and in so many instances, and in so many sermons, i and i'm sure you yourselves have heard verse 2 of chapter 5 lifted out of context isolated but by itself in order to justify and prove that we the saints the church have no idea when the lord jesus christ will return for his people it is a secret event and admittedly on its own by itself out of context that is exactly what it seems to say but let's put it back into context and let's see if that holds water. First let's look at the language the word perfectly the word perfectly it means exactly or accurately or diligently so he's saying that the Thessalonians had exact and perfect knowledge that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. However, before we can move forward, we need to recognize that the phrase day of the Lord is a phrase which occurs many times in many places within scripture. And since that phrase appears in verse 2, it is important to understand what the phrase would have meant to the people who were reading it when Paul wrote it at the time they were reading it and at the time that he wrote it. So if we do a survey of the Old Testament, we find that this phrase is used 15 times Now, if you'll bear with me, I think that the survey in specific of where this phrase appears will prove to some degree profitable. The first is Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12, where it says, quote, for the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty and upon everyone that is lifted up and he shall be brought low, unquote. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 6, Howl ye, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 9, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel both with wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it unquote. jeremiah forty six ten quote, for this is the day of the Lord, God of hosts, a day of vengeance that he may avenge him of his adversaries, and the sword shall devour, and it shall be satiate and made drunk with their blood, for the Lord God of hosts hath a sacrifice in the north country by the river Euphrates, unquote. Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 5, quote, ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge of the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord, unquote. Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 3, quote, for the day is near, even the day of the Lord is near, a cloudy day. It shall be the time of the heathen. Unquote. Joel chapter one verse sixteen. Quote, Alas for the day! For the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Unquote. Joel chapter two verse eleven. Quote, and the Lord shall utter His voice before His army. For his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? Unquote. Joel chapter 2, verse 31 quote, The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Unquote. Joel chapter 3, verse 14 quote, multitudes multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the lord is near in the valley of decision" unquote. Amos chapter 5 verse 18 quote, "woe unto you that desire the day of the lord to what end is it for you the day of the lord is darkness and not light" unquote. Amos chapter 5 verse 20 quote, Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark, and no brightness in it? Unquote. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 7, quote, Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand, for the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice. He hath bid his guests. Unquote. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14, quote, the Great Day of the Lord is near; it is near and hasteth greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord, the Mighty man shall cry there bitterly. The day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and destruction, a day of darkness and gloominess. a day of clouds and thick darkness. Unquote. Malachi chapter four, verse five. Quote, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, unquote. Now, insofar as the Old Testament is concerned, of particular interest in the series of verses that I just cited are Isaiah chapter 13, verse 9, and Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14, both of which associate the day of the lord as being a quote, "day of wrath" unquote. moving forward there are a few verses in the new testament which reveal uh, some additional information in addition to that of 1st Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 2 which we're uh, looking at right now the first being 2nd Peter chapter 3 verse 10 where it says quote, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up, unquote. Worthy of uh, mention, as long as we're on this subject, is 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. Quote, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus, Unquote. also and lastly, second Corinthians chapter one, verse fourteen, quote, as also ye have acknowledged us in part that we are your rejoicing, even as ye also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Unquote. As we condense and summarize these verses, they provide some interesting insights. One, in each case, the various writers clearly are inspired to reveal that, quote, the day of the Lord, unquote, is synonymous with God's judgment and vengeance upon a rebellious, wicked world. Well, also being a time of reward, in contrast, for the righteous. 2. In two instances, two separate writers associate, quote, the day of the Lord, unquote, as being synonymous with, quote, a day of wrath, unquote. 3. In several places, we find mention of the sword, battle, and armies which occur within, quote, the day of the Lord, unquote. Four, there are several mentions of cosmic events which, if not hyperbole, are consistent with disaster upon the earth and heavens. And finally, five, while in every case the phrase, quote, the day of the Lord, unquote, comes in the singular with the definite article, quote-unquote, the, this does not rule out the possibility that the writers have a definite period of time in view consisting of multiple days. So the unavoidable conclusion based upon scripture is that, quote, the day of the Lord, unquote, is one or more days in history somewhere in future wherein God pours out his wrath upon the earth to punish the wicked while rewarding the righteous. In the process, God allows or directs warfare as well as cosmic destruction. All this would seem to be consistent with the period of time referred to as the, great tribulation, Jacob's Trouble, or God's Wrath. It is also obvious that since all of these subjects were subjects under discussion to one degree or another, since long before Jesus was born, going into the intertestamental period, and were subjects under discussion in various Jewish literature in both the Old Testament and in the Apocrypha, that the Jews that were in the Thessalonian church would have understood those terms and known exactly what Paul was talking about, which is why it wasn't necessary for him to repeat them. Secondly, we come to the term in the uh, verse above where it says, thief in the night, both verse 2 and this statement are very often, as I said before, taken out of context and applied to mean that the quote unquote brethren, i.e., the Thessalonian church members, and by extension, all believers, then and now, have absolutely no clue when Christ will return for his church, any more than anyone knows when or where a thief will steal or break in. However, as I said before, instead of taking this out of context, we place it back into context with verses 3 through 5, which are to follow. We find clarity as to who and what Paul is referring to. Verse 3, For when they say, Peace and safety... Then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. This would this verse would seem to contrast to the predicament and situation present in the Thessalonian church. There was no way that the Thessalonian church could claim that they were experiencing, quote, peace and safety, quote. It was just the opposite. It was oppression. It was tribulation. It was persecution. And it was great danger. It is more likely that it's possible that Paul is here preemptively addressing the age old question or concern that the church, i.e., believers, the outcalled ones, will have to endure or go through the tribulation as defined by God's wrath. It is also possible that a falsified letter or a false teacher had informed or suggested to the Thessalonians, as many believe, that they had missed the, the event called the rapture, and this is why they were being persecuted and suffering, because they thought that, if that's the fact, that they were in the day of the Lord, unquote, unquote, and that they were experiencing, quote, God's wrath, unquote. If so, that, that would explain why Paul is here saying, No, what precedes the day of the Lord is a period of time when everyone is proclaiming peace and safety, which was clearly not the case in the Thessalonian church, during the time that it had been founded, and following thereafter during the time when Paul was writing this letter. Verse 4, continuing, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtook you as a thief. Notice here in verse 4, it opens with two very important and critical words quote but ye unquote. The but ye is obviously and can only be the Thessalonian Church, the Thessalonian believers, those who are called out. Secondly, the but ye is a contrast, will you ask? contrast to what? Well, the contrast is to verse 2, which for reminder says, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now the assumption is, with the verse being taken out of context, that it is the Thessalonian church and or believers, the called out ones, the church, who are clueless, who have no idea when the day of the Lord cometh. It comes as a thief in the night. However, verse 4, where it says, But ye, being the church, and just in case we don't agree, it follows with a clarification with the word brethren, which can only be the church, only be the Thessalonians, are different well you ask how are they different well verse 4 continues it says but ye brethren are not in darkness here the original word in greek skotos comes from the root meaning shadow darkened eyesight blindness obscurity it's talking about a metaphor for spiritual blindness discernment, apathy, slumber, laziness, as opposed to enlightenment and soberness, which the Thessalonians had. Okay, so we're talking in verse 4 about the Thessalonians, the church then and now, and those that are not in darkness, but what's the subject matter? Okay, verse 4 continues... But ye, brethren, are not in darkness. About what? That the day should overtake you as a thief. What day? The day of the Lord that we've just been talking about. Well, what about that day? Well, verse 4, it's not going to overtake you as a thief. Why? Because you're not in darkness. That's the difference. The church those called out, those with discernment, are not in darkness. Those in the world, those who are unregenerate, do not have discernment. Therefore, they are overtaken as a thief. This puts verse 2 in its proper context with regard to the day of the Lord. It does not come as a thief in the night for the church, for those who are believers, for those with discernment. It only comes as a thief in the night. For those who are unbelievers, unregenerate, do not know the Lord, who are in darkness because of a lack of discernment. Verse 5, continuing for further elaboration. Ye, who's the ye? The church, the Thessalonian church, believers, the outcalled ones, then and now. Ye are the children of the light and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. So in conclusion, these verses that talk about being overtaken as a thief in the night have to do with the unregenerate world, those in darkness, those without discernment, those who do not know the Lord who will be overtaken as a thief. The reason given is that the world is characterized in verse 3 by those who are constantly saying the refrain, peace and safety. They are looking for worldly peace ushered in by worldly methods, by worldly men, by worldly policies, which ultimately always have nothing to do with God, but rather with the supposed enlightenment of men who are filled, usually and largely, with darkness. And it is for this reason that the world, the unregenerate world, is looking for secular peace administered by governments or man, and it is when peace and safety are about to be achieved, or look like they are achieved, that we find these watchwords that in fact, sudden destruction comes. It is also for this reason that the antichrist who is able through Satan's devices to usher in what appears to be peace that we find the same timing where all hell breaks loose in this last and final 7-year great tribulation verse 6 Therefore as a result or as a result of let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Now here it is not talking about physical sleep where we get rest at night. It's talking about a sense of the world going about its business without regard to anything spiritual, without anything having to do with the second coming of Christ, as opposed to doing that, the world is constantly and always worrying about how are we doing as a government how is the economy and can we as sinful men fix things so first we had the concept of darkness introduced in verse 4 which was shadow darkened eyesight blindness and obscurity and here we have sleep which is yielding to sin be indifferent to one's salvation. The proof is the contrast mentioned which is to watch and be sober. Now obviously the question will watch and be sober concerning what? Well the answer is the coming of our Lord mentioned in verse 2 which is still the subject under discussion. The reality is like it or not chapter 5 here reminds us all of one irrevocable fact. Jesus, who is the Christ, has an appointment in time when on a particular day and time in human history, he will return. Every day gone by for 2,000 plus years brings us closer to that appointed time. With this in focus, As we look at the landscape of the world, we see two basic camps. In the larger camp, that is the many, there are those who deny or don't know Christ. To those, we add those who know of, but to one degree or another have little if any relationship with Christ. In this case, these are fallen asleep, they are spiritually dead. They are intoxicated with the cares and pleasure of this world, and salvation is not even a word that it's in their vocabulary. These are the children of darkness who are doomed, ultimately, to eternal separation. In the second group, there are those whom God is pleased to draw to himself as his elect. By God's grace, these have been given new life, and they walk in his light by his grace through faith day by day ultimately these look forward with joy and eagerness to his coming for his bride the church so paul is here admonishing the church not to fall into the trap of the unredeemed by losing focus and perspective as believers it is critical that the truth and reality of what Christ has done for us, as well as the awe and fear of there being a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, drives a life of redeeming the time for Christ in his service and being sanctified, living a holy life by his indwelling Holy Spirit. This concludes this episode. Now, please join me for the next episode. If you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening.
1: The world falls around me. I rest and know that He has found me. Christ the Rock is my foundation. I will trust in Him. I will trust in Him. I will trust in Him.